Speak softly loud So no one hears us but the sky The vows of love we made We live on till we die My life is yours And I'll be cold You came into my world with love Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. We're going, we're heading into our third season. I want to introduce my friend, as you all know, Pat Picciarelli, my co-author, is with us. As you, hi, everybody, and Megan Haran, a <laughs> millennium. I don't know her as a Haran. I know her as a millennium. She's here tonight, and uh, Pat, I'm going to let you introduce the show because. Like you, we both had a stone, a standing relationship with Sonny Grasso, and unfortunately, okay. he passed this week. And um, we want to dedicate this to him and Christina and his family, his son, because he was an unbelievable guy. Pat, I'll give it to you first. Uh, Sonny Grasso was a detective in the NYPD, uh, famously involved with the French Connection case. Uh, of the 1960s. He, uh, him and his partner, Eddie Egan, broke this case, which at the time was the biggest heroin bust in the history of the NYPD. Uh, and they did it on their own with little help from anyone. Obviously, back then, there was no technology. It was all footwork. And they, they broke this huge international case uh, involving heroin being smuggled in from uh, Marseille, France. And uh, it became a uh, very big uh, hit movie, The French Connection, which won the Academy Award in 1972, I, I believe. Now, uh, Sonny Grasso and Eddie Egan uh, came before me on the job. I came on in 68. They were well into their careers by then. And I didn't know either of them. I was a recruit. I had just come on the job. But fast forward to the mid-80s, by that time I was a lieutenant, Sonny and Eddie Egan were off the job. I believe Eddie may have passed away by that time, but uh, yeah, Sonny... Dead. He's dead 25 years already. Yeah, yeah he's been gone a while. Oh. Uh, uh, Sonny became uh, a big movie and television producer, writer, and a, a powerhouse in the industry. He had offices on 3rd Avenue in, uh, in Manhattan, but Ain't on maintained Boulevard, he, the West Coast he, he uh, maintained his roots and he still had uh, a lot of police friends and he uh, he was the same guy he was when he was in the NYPD. So what happened was uh, at the time I was married to a, a police woman uh, and she got very sick. She was diagnosed with stage four cancer, stage four lymphoplastic lymphoma. Now at the time, the rules in the NYPD dictated that if you were out on an extended sick leave, the NYPD has unlimited sick leave, which means you can be out as long as you want. They still pay you your weekly check. Only they really don't like to do that. So what they, what the policy was, was if you were out extended sick, and that was an arbitrary figure. It could be a week, it could be six months, whatever they deemed was extended. But she was going every week for chemo and she was out more than she was in. Anyway, they decided they were going to retire her. And uh, uh, since she didn't have 10 years in, the pension she was going to get was going to be minuscule. 
and I thought that was grossly unfair, and I decided I was going to do something about it. Only uh, being a part of the NYPD at a, at a, uh, a basically low rank, I was a lieutenant, uh, but compared to the hierarchy of the job, which was extremely powerful politically, you don't fight City Hall or in this particular case, you don't fight one police plaza. But I did it. I wanted to change the rules. And since the job wasn't listening to me, uh, I went to the press. And I had done some side work for uh, the local NBC affiliate, uh, NBC television. And I, I went to them and they championed Susan's, uh, Vivian's cause. And I got a lot of publicity. And I embarrassed the police commissioner. Who happened to be black at that time. First, The first black commissioner's name was Ben Ward. I know, and uh, he had a reputation uh, as, as as being a drunk, and uh, well, he not was a good gone reputation. <laughs> more than he was around. Mm. Uh, he, was, he, he wasn't a very popular guy. I didn't like the guy, but my my beef wasn't with him. It was with the rules of the job. But apparently, he took it personally. I was brought up on charges. Uh, and uh, keep in mind that you can be brought up on charges for anything. The uh, police department has a lot of rules, and they're easily broken. And since I was uh, a mid-level supervisor, they brought me up on paperwork charges. Failure to sign this, failure to call that person, failure to... It was all, all administrative stuff. It had nothing to do with, uh, with corruption. However, the ultimate penalty being firing. And they told me I was going to get fired uh, in, in a trial room. Anyway, I kept on going and I brought my case to, to the governor, Mario Cuomo, Gave my wife an award uh, for her for her fight against cancer, and she he was, was an good. amazing guy. Not like yeah, his son, like, was a good guy. I went up to the to the state house up in Albany for the for the ceremony, and uh, I don't want to belabor this, but he said, "If you have any problems, let me know." And I said, "I did. I got this problem going on in the city, the hierarchy of the job." He said, "I'll take care of it," and he did. And uh, basically, I was forced out of the job with my pension. Uh, and I went happily. I was tired of it. I was burned out. Along comes Sonny Grasso. And he said, you guys have a hell of a story here. And I didn't know him. I never met the man in my life. And uh, he, he sought me out. He sought my wife out. And uh, we had many meetings. We signed contracts. We had uh, two people signed to play us. One was Margaret Collin, who was assigned to play Vivian, and uh, Armand DeSante. Uh, who was going to be me? Right. And I keep in mind, it was thirty years ago. We were everybody was a lot younger back then, and things were going along uh, uh, smoothly. We'd meetings at the Friars Club between Sonny and the actors and his partners and Larry something, I believe I don't remember, and everybody else. Then we went up to his office. He had palatial offices on Third Avenue in the fifties, I think Fifty Third Street. Went down to Puglia's, which was uh, a favorite. Uh, uh, dining place of his down in uh, Little Italy. He never left the old neighborhood. He well, he was there for old. one. He was there every Monday night. Yeah, and, but see, but Sonny, as you, as you, um, I don't know if you knew it or not, he was from Harlem and Upper West okay. Side. So when Rayos became popular, he went back to his neighborhood and left Puglia because <laughs> I, I used to see him both right on Grand and up there. And then when Rayos became what it was because of, you know, um, Regis Philman and Kathy Lee, and they always talked about Rayos, then he moved his table up there every Monday night. Until yeah, that was a place unto itself. You actually had a, you, your table was a, like a condominium. 
Yeah, you you, you owned it for that day. Yeah, yeah, not for the you, not for the if, but just for the day on a Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. If you had reservations for say Thursday night eight o'clock, right. that was your table whether you were there or not. You paid for it. Oh yeah. So what you basically did was if you couldn't make it. You gave your table to somebody, but it, it's an, it was extremely popular then. It's extremely popular now. Oh my God! Yeah. But the point is, with with Sonny, always a regular guy. I mean, just no. yep. like he never left the neighborhood. He treated us extremely well. And as as Hollywood goes, you know, the best laid plans are all set to go. The, the uh, it's going to be a television movie, and uh, it just died. Things well, happen. Yeah, you, you know the I I had. I hired Armand Asante for something, and I worked with him in, in striptease, and he had the same unfortunate career as so many great actors that never made it. He was always a great actor. I thought from Mambo Kings, and I lost my part of that to Jack Scalia, yeah. and, and I thought those two guys were going to go to the moon, and it was the kiss of death for that. What happened? Well, they just don't have TVQ, and you wanted them for TV. See, I was a TV producer, well, so TVQ to the audience that don't know this, they go by your ratings from one to a hundred. And when you want to, when you put a package together like they were trying to do for you with a TV series, when they bring it to a producer, and I see your cast, the cast has to. If there's three major people, you got to be in the top middle two hundred to three hundred with the three of them, and they didn't have it. That's, okay, that was it. So I was never told. And oh, no, you wouldn't know that movie. part of it. But that's why, you know, even when I cast the movies that I did do, I, I mean, I liked Armand Asante. We put him in striptease. He was very good in that. And Jack Scalia, I put in Jack Scalia and PCH along with Sally Kellerman and, and Elliot Gould. But for, fortunately, I had these other people and new people, so we got the 300 rating we needed to get the cast and the thing made. But... Um, no, and it was interesting because, as you pointed out, that these two guys, Sonny and Egan, they just had a hunch. And it's funny because my life just keeps revolving around the Copa and New York and whatever. They saw a known drug dealer abusing a guy in the Copa. And they just thought to follow him for some reason. And that's how they got onto this you know, the, the smuggling with the with the Buick. Yeah, that was the part that was played in the movie by uh, Tony Lobianco. Right, right. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that movie. Yeah. In fact, uh, Sonny Grasso has a very small part in it. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who've seen the movie, and I'm, I'm assuming most of you have, when they were taking apart the Frenchman's car in the police department impound, he was one of the uh, detectives hanging around. He had a couple of lines. Uh, Egan was in it also, uh, very briefly. In fact, Egan went, went on to have parts in other movies, but I don't, I don't think Sonny Grasso did. He would rather be behind the camera. Well, not really, that. because he, well, I, met, I, met, I met Sonny probably the height of his career in 71 when they just won five Oscars. I mean, yeah. Billy Franken, they won five Oscars. <laughs> French Connection uh, in 1971. I'm glad it was in 72, because we came in and won three after that, The Godfather. So yeah. his, his profile was so high... Paramount hired Sonny Grasso as technical advisor on The Godfather to train McCluskey, who was Sterling Hayden, how to be a cop. And, I didn't know that. And Sonny, in fact, when they were outside the hospital, when 
to refresh everybody's memory. And Michael was there with the baker trying to make him believe they still had bodyguards watching his father. The police were in on it. And when they got to that scene and McCluskey says, hold that kid, wise guy like you. And he punches him. He punches Michael that time and swelled up his whole face in the movie. And that's when Michael got dragged in. So not only did he teach Sterling Hayden how to behave like a police officer, a, a captain he was, Sonny was standing by his side in the scene. Next time you see that scene, Sonny did more character parts like that because he was on the set anyway. Yeah. And then the other big scene, that's a major scene in our film, Godfather, was when Richie, Con Richie Castellano was teaching Michael how to fire the gun to walk into Louis when he's going to kill Salazzo and McCluskey, his first killing other than being in the war. And a part of trivia history is that that service revolver that was taped behind the toilet in Louis' restaurant is Sonny Grasso's actual 38. Oh, no way. So, I mean, yeah. there's so much stuff in there. I mean, Sonny and I would talk forever. Because you remember the guy, Buddy Russo? No. Okay. But, but he always laughed because my name was Russo, and he hated this guy. Hmm. Who was Buddy Russo? He was, he was in the force somewhere, and there was a thorn in his okay, side. Okay, I know. Yeah, wasn't aware. Yeah. But, you know, to, to spin forward with, I mean, there's so many layers here. So, I mean, and, but, but Sonny, as you know, was very, very versed in the Black Liberation League. And they brought him in because he, was, he had respect on both sides of, of the fence. The yeah, Black Liberation Army. Army, rather, yeah. Yeah, oh. That well, was, that was during the, during the 70s. They were, they were killing New York City cops left and right. And the ones they didn't kill, they wounded very badly. Right. In fact, the, the, the worst shooting for the cops that survived, there was a steady security post in front of the district attorney, Frank Hogan, who was a district attorney of Manhattan County, uh, New York County in Manhattan for years. I mean, he was like a, uh, an icon. Uh, like 40, 50 years you had that post. There was a, uh, a radio car parked in front of his apartment building off Riverside Drive in the 90s for years. It was a steady post. Anyway, the BLA, when they're after, after cops, they're going to go after... Uh, you know, they don't have to make any plans. I mean, they know there's two cops in front of Frank Hogan's house. Right. And they, uh, they machine gunned the two cops in the radio car. Uh, and they, and they were looking for the publicity anyway, so they would definitely take that target first. Yeah, both of them survived. That's great. And shot numerous, uh, automatic weapons. Oof. Shot numerous times. And the BLA killed uh, two cops in, uh, in the East Village, of Foster and Laurie. I was down there that night personally, walking a foot post. And I'm... Um, just happy it wasn't me, but I had a white partner. They were killing or shooting black and white uh, mm. partners. They killed uh, Piagentini and Jones up in Harlem once again, white and the black. Uh, it was it was a it was a terrible time in the yeah. NYPD and numerous other shootings. Oh, I know. Uh, bad time. Mm. But they they the the powers that be in one police plaza, they brought Sonny in because of, of the relationship he had all through his life being in Harlem, and the blacks yeah. loved them. Yeah, well, this Black Liberation Army, despite its name, there's only about 10 people in it. I mean, uh, very, very small group. That's why they were so hard to find. 
And they were all killers. And we spoke about Joanne Chesimata numerous episodes back. She was the spiritual leader. There was some nut named Twyman Myers. Uh, He used to wear a hand grenade around his neck, uh, which he intended to kill himself with if he was ever captured. He was killed in in a shootout. Shot was a live hand grenade? I mean, these are violent people. They they were all going to go down in in a blaze of glory. Some did, some didn't. Some gave up like the cowards they were. But uh, it was a horrible time. We were we were actually carrying our, our our fathers and grandfathers' weapons from World War II. All he had was six shot revolvers. The wow. guys were bringing in BARs, well, Thompson nice. submachine guns from the twenties. I mean, it's just just a, a surreal time. And uh, that that was that was the also the Sonny Grasso era. Uh, era. Right, right. Yeah. But so, I mean, as we are talking about Sonny Grasso. When you think of his career, and 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 the people that really adored him, even Sinatra, which we'll get into, and Sinatra brought him on a major movie that he produced. The first t- television movie he ever produced was Contract on Cherry Street, which I saw. Did you? Yeah, so when it, when it first came out, oh, that's and wild. To this day, every now and then, I mean, I, I I love movies and I watch a lot of them. That's never been on cable. But you know what it is? Uh, he did that for Columbia. And that was his uh, production company. Frank. Frank. And he produced yeah. it. And most people don't know why he produced it. I was I was privy to probably one of the worst nights of Frank's life. It was uh, January 6th, 1977. And uh, I was at Caesar's Palace. He was opening Caesar's Palace that night. And uh, he, he left Palm Springs. And his mother's girlfriend was laid at the hairdresser. So he said, Ma, I can't wait to be a girlfriend. I'll send the plane back. So he went to Caesar's Palace. We were all hung out with him. He did his sound check and all of that. And now it's going to be 6, 7 o'clock. He's got to go on. They still haven't heard anything about his mother. Mm. And, and I, this was Frank's plane. Yeah, it was Frank's oh. plane. Yeah, he sent it back. It makes it even but, worse. But not only, you know what it is? He chartered a lot of planes from a, a very good friend of mine that was a doctor down there. He, he and Elvis, no less. Dr. Elias Ghanem owned uh, Nevada Air or something. But so they had all these jets when they needed them. They, a lot of people thought they owned them. They didn't own them. They owned them. But the sad thing about it, I, I, I'm going to tell you what happened here, is that that night, because I know him that well, he baptized my son Luciano. He basically was an atheist because he used to laugh. I used to run to go to church. Even when Monaco together, I'd go to church. And he said, I'm the God, I'm the God. You know, it was, it was nuts. But anyway, that night, before closing song, January of 1977, he asked the audience for a minute of silence that his mother's plane is missing and please pray for her. And then he did his closing number went backstage and they told him they found the plane and she's dead. And the irony of this story? The irony of this story, that's his mother his mother's favorite book was Contract on Cherry Street. And, and he decided to do the movie. He decided to do it as a tribute to his mother. Is that wow. insane? Wow. And guess who his sidekick was in that movie? I forgot. Oh. Sonny Grasso. All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> what year was that movie? 77. 
Oh, okay. Came out in November 77. It was the first TV movie. That's when they're making TV movies. And for Frank Sinatra, the deal they made him, obviously. He was the star of it. The mm. producer of it, his company owned it. But that nobody knows that to this day. That's why he did it. He wanted to do it as a tribute you know, to his mother. I, ironically, the, the um, mountain that Sinatra's mother crashed into, Dean Martin's son also crashed into. Exactly. Months later. Yeah. I mean, and that's what uh, killed Dean at that time because Dean convinced Dino, yeah. don't that was during Vietnam, getting into the air guard, get into the National Air Guard. You like to fly planes. I don't want you going over there. And the kid really wanted to go to war. Yeah, and that's why when he died, Dino hit the same mountain fifty feet away from the mother. That's insane. That's why Dino took it so bad. I mean, he was done. Mm. He was he, he was a mess. I, I, I tried to see him as much as I could at that time. And he used to eat at La Familia. They used to drop him down in this black town car. He lived right up on Mountain Drive across the street from me. And he'd come down there around 5, 5.30. And by 6.30, he was laying in his food. That's how bad he was. And the owner, I don't want to say his name because he's still alive. I bitch smacked this guy all over uh, Cannon Drive. I went there one day, he's outside on the sidewalk, saying, come in and see Dean. And Dean is drunk in his food. And you're supposed to be his friend. And God knows the bills he was sending, because Dean ate there every day. <laughs> and how, how much could the guy eat? He's drunk. But he was letting people come in to see Dean Martin, drunk. Just a spectacle, making yeah. a spectacle out make of it. Yeah, like, you know, it's a That's so sad. Oh, it's, oh. That really is sad. And he, I'm talking about dying of a broken heart. This right. guy died of a broken heart, man. Yeah, he probably blamed himself for talking his son into joining the NFL. That's exactly party. what he did. I'm sure. That's exactly yeah. what he did. No, wow. but, uh, what a shame. It, but when you start hearing these stories and how they just keep revolving around, you know, situations, but um, it, it's... Uh, it, it, and Christina, this his girlfriend forever... I don't know why he never married. I, I never got into that. And, but uh, I feel so sorry for her because she was, I saw her just recently with him on 3rd Avenue. I always walked 3rd Avenue. He still had the same office there. And I, I actually stopped about a block away because I spotted him. But he was all the last few weeks, he was like all crunched over. And she's walking him in like an old man. I mean, he was old, but... He didn't age well, and I don't know what else happened to him, but he had some seriously uh, physical problems that he was losing his mobility. And the last time I saw him at Rayo's, I actually sat with him because he invited me to somebody who wanted to meet me and him. And I went up. I like going when I'm when there's those kind of people. And they're, they're, on Monday nights, I knew every, mostly everybody up there. And um, but Sonny was going to be missed, man. And I feel sorry for her because I don't know what she's going to do. And Larry Jacobs, he's done. That was the partner you were trying to. That was the partner, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's Jacobs. finished. So I don't know if the, if the company's going to survive. They're really not doing anything anymore. I don't think in the last ten years. He's always. They were to... really big in the seventies and eighties. Did they do the Seven Ups? I think he That's was. That's his picture. Yeah. yeah, he was in that too. I know it was a great movie. Yeah, I, he... I see it. I watch it all the time. Yeah, all filmed. One of the reasons I like it was it's all filmed on location. Yeah. They didn't use any studio. I don't know where they did the interiors, but well, the exteriors were on the street. Oh, I know. And, well, that's I, I wasn't coming to New York that much when they did even contract on Cherry Street, but they were on Wall Street. They used cats, 
a deli down on yeah. Houston. Cassis on Delancey. Yeah. And so uh, so I was just there. And at that time, I was really close to Sonny because Sonny, as I said, was on off film. And I got to, I got to know him well for three or four months when he did The Godfather. And then he was technical advisor on all these shows. I mean, all the, I mean, you name the shows, they brought him on. Yeah, so, had anything to do with cops. He was, yeah. he was involved. Well, he knew it. I mean, he knew the game. I mean, I think was it that, easy. Good. Let me ask you this: was Was it easier to shoot a film on the streets back then as compared to now? It's always less the expensive, same. less hassle. Well, no, you know it is. I mean, all of these cities, the major cities, have seen the wealth of inviting people and getting a tax cut. I mean, you know. Everybody in New York City. I mean, there's a. I saw two different camps today. I only worked four miles, and I saw two major camps. Mm. The backdrop of you know, it's priceless to see New York City. Even around me in the Bronx, a lot. There's always stuff filming, yeah. especially around. Well, they, they, a lot of companies use uh, 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 Toronto to pass for Manhattan. Well, yeah. Well, they're a part of Toronto. We shot the freshmen up there. We started. We started the freshman here because we needed NYU and that campus downtown. But then we took it right out of here because New York then was very expensive because of the unions. And they flex that now and they give you a credit. See, if you're going to come to New York to shoot, they'll give you, let's say, a, a, a $10 million budget. They'll give you $2 million back in a year. Because well, other generate. places must be offering better deals because yeah, you know, they're, they're still shooting in Toronto. There's a television series called Suits. It was on for seven years. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and the, the, one of the the, the main uh, storylines is uh, it's because big New York lawyers. There's a lot of street scenes shot. Oh yeah, in that in that series, all Toronto. But uh, now, wow. uh, which is big now, is South Carolina and all that. Do you know how many studios are down there? We I shot Super Mario Brother there. 15, 20 years ago, because the unions, Teamsters, see a lot of these guys, when you come to New York, New York Teamsters, they gotta, they'll give you 10 drivers, you gotta have them, even if they're staying around doing nothing. So they, yeah. they, they flex those rules. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy time, but it's... Um... Yeah, I was, I was doing security. The, the uh, tactical patrol force that I worked in, did, uh, they had a... They, they call it the movie detail unit or something like that. If the, if the movie was being shot in Manhattan and it was shot during the day, we worked at night. So if we wanted to work overtime during the day, we would do security for the movies oh, in yeah. uniform. I did the French Connection and they used us as extras. And, and they uh, just the go to scene yeah. where they're following around yeah. the Frenchman, a whole bunch of cops in there. I'm one of them. Oh, really? uh, but uh, I mean, just the logistics of, of shooting in Midtown Manhattan during the day oh, is fabulous. daunting. But, you know, uh, 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 Frankie or whoever put, uh, directed this thing didn't care. He just put a camera out there. He didn't care who was on the street. He just shot. Oh, yeah, they did. At that time, no. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. yeah. totally different. Yeah. So let's just give our final thoughts. I mean, Sonny, we're going to miss you. He's uh, a great guy. And as yep. a cop, R.I.P. As Sonny Grasso. Mm-hmm. It's a one of one of a kind. Yeah. Was yeah. he still producing up until recently? Trying to, yeah. He hasn't done anything recently that I know of in the last five or six years. Where, where did he live? He lived somewhere up near Harlem, I think. I don't know still. that. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. He was a neighborhood guy. Yeah, I know. That's what the and he was a man's guy. man. So, I mean, I, I, you know, most of those kind of people, I'm, I'm the only maniac that invites everybody to my house. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is true. Everybody knows where I live. I don't know where any of these people live. <laughs> I always saw them in restaurants. But, um, okay. Sonny Grosso, we love Sonny. you, my man. Yeah. Rest, Rest in, in peace. peace. Absolutely. Well, let's let's see who's writing to us this week. All right, on to the mailbag. All right, so first is from Nina. Nina says, love your podcast and book. I enjoy listening to all of you every week. My mom is also a great fan, and I surprised her for her birthday by buying tickets to your Niagara Falls show. However, I am a little confused. I have tickets for March, but on a recent podcast, Gianni mentioned it was in February. Please clarify. At this point, we've we've had ads out, but do you want to just yeah, reiterate? I mean, that's probably me because I I never know where I'm going to be. But on <laughs> February seventh, I'm at my father's place. February ninth, ninth, February ninth, February ninth. Yeah. Yes, and March seventh, yes. I'm at Fallsview Casino. Fallsview Casino in Niagara Falls. So you got the right tickets for your mother. Yes, and don't we'll, worry. And I'll be yeah. there, <laughs> and bring her backstage wherever we go. I think she was she was asking that. That was part of her message. Oh yeah, so. please, definitely. Be Will up. you be around and introducing yourself to people after the show? Do you yeah, think? actually, I, they've asked me to do like a meet and greet after. I'm doing a private thing for some private rollers. I mean, okay. I rollers, but I may even do a Q and A. Perfect. So it would be great. Awesome! I can't wait. So, sort of, sort of uh, honing the act, right? Right. Hmm, absolutely. Right. No, the act is done. I mean, I've honed this act. This one. Okay. This, you're going to be proud of this. It's about your book. Hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I always proud wait. of what you do, buddy. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could be there. I'm coming to a place close to you. Don't worry. All right. Let me know. I hope. I'm ready. You should be going everywhere. So speaking of that, Tracy asks, when will you be traveling to the Western United States? Do you know any dates for this show yet? No, I will be going. You know, I'm, I'm getting a tremendous response. And fortunately, there's casinos every place. And. I like working casinos because it makes it easier for you as a performer mm-hmm. because they have to comp so many people. They have to bring in entertainment and they have the budgets where, you know, I, I love smaller venues, but they had to have no budgets anymore. Oh, I, mean, okay. I worked in New York City for 40 years. I couldn't believe it. Mm. But, uh, you know, we'll be going everywhere, fortunately. Great. All right. Next one is from Arnold for Patrick. Arnold says, I'm rereading Jimmy the Wag's Street Stories of a Private Eye for the third time since it came out in 1999. Genuinely laugh out loud funny. Every time seems like the first time I read it. Did you ever write comedy or do stand-up? Well, that's a good question. No, I I never did stand-up, but I I wrote comedy, and this is how I got involved in this. Uh, Johnny, our friend Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, my God. Across the street from his place. He was one of the first uh, comedy places in uh in the city opened up in the 70s you couldn't get in there i mean very popular place because he he did a bit every night that he was in town right uh he loved cops and you know what's good and, about that he loved new comics and he needed to give them a stage he tried to yeah help them. Mm-hmm. that's why he did uh, that he was yeah he, he had people there that went on to fame and fortune oh my god but yeah. uh he had some problems in there uh one night uh, as they were closing up you know the bars have to close at four o'clock in new york uh, one of the last customers had a sort of shotgun under his uh, trench coat Whoa. and took them off a lot of money. I guess he didn't like the act. <laughs> oh, yeah, part of the act. Well, everybody was gone, but uh, he liked cops hanging out in his place. One, because he liked cops, and two, because of that incident. 
So we work six to twos. The tactical patrol force works six at night to two in the morning. And we go there for the last two hours to have cocktails. So I got to know him uh, very well when we talk comedy. And I said something once about a joke or something. He says, listen to me. If you can write jokes any better than that, I'll pay you 50 bucks a joke. This is 1973. 50 bucks was a lot of money compared yeah, to what I was making. Yeah. So everything I gave him, he says, $50. Well, he, he qualified this. $50 per joke that I use, but you don't get residuals. $50. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you use the freaking thing a thousand times, you're getting $50. I said, okay, no problem. I, you know, I, I would have done it for nothing. You know, I could say I, I wrote it, wrote a joke for Rodney Dangerfield. Right, Come on. No. It was over so the funny. Years, I, I, over the years, I probably did about 40 jokes. Wow. That's mm, great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. He, he I got, and every time I, I went in, he, he, he would look at it before he went on stage and he'd nod his head, give me 50. A couple of them, a lot of them, he didn't nod his head. But when he did, he nodded his head. He said, give the kid 50 bucks. And the bartender gave me 50 bucks. <laughs> that's great. So that, that's, that's my joke writing career. But I couldn't see myself on stage. But mm. I'm, I'm just thinking here. If you want to do stand up, you could be my opening act on We Go On the Road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You are a funny guy, pal. I'll give you that. Yeah, I, try. My, I have a funny story about Dangerfields. <laughs> they booked me at Dangerfields for a, a Thanksgiving Day weekend many years ago in the, in the 70s or 80s. But anyway. And so we went to talk to negotiate the deal. And the guy's name was Stan Seidenberg. I'll never forget it. And he wanted $7,500 from me. He said, I ain't paying this guy $7,500 for three days' work. Yeah. He said, I'll give him the covers. He said, okay, what's okay. the covers? The cover charges mean that's, you know. So we upped the covers because we felt comfortable. He had to pay me $17,000 in cover <laughs> charges. He almost got polio writing the check. I can't believe it. How'd you get these people in? I said, they paid, didn't they? Well, in a way, that was found money. I mean, it was, it was oh, a cover charge. Yeah, you know, there was no money out of his pocket. But the yeah, fact yeah. that he had to give it up. Yeah. But You know, he, I, had, a, he, he had a place off of York Avenue on the Upper East Side. It was like a... a, a a, a home for beat up comedians, you know, the old Catskill crowd. Oh, yeah, 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 that yeah. We weren't doing anything anymore. They were there all the time. They lived there. They crashed on couches. Oh, my God. He was a great guy. Dangerfield oh. was a great guy. But uh, let me tell you what happened. Opening night, our audience, because of our genre, our audience going to love this. Opening night was, I think, a, a Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which is like Death Wish. Hmm. And yeah. the weather was warm, though. If it was cold, I think it would have been a death wish. Mm. So Carlo Gambino puts out a message to all five families. Go see this kid. <laughs> oh, my God. You End of message. In. You couldn't get in. So now, <laughs> tell, you, tell you how nuts <laughs> I was? I come out, and that's when everybody was wearing, you know, pastels and hankies to match and ties. Remember, they were doing all those bright colors. Leisure so, suits. Yes. No, no, these were no these were suits. These were suits okay, with ties right. and no 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 they, you, you never saw Carlo Gambino in the leases. <laughs> so now I come out and I'm just, you know, having fun. I know them all my life. So I said, you know, it's so funny. I came out here, I'm doing a couple of songs and I look down and you guys look like Baskin Robbins, fifty six flavors. And I start naming who's in the audience and what they're yeah. wearing. You could hear a pin drop. Until Carlo Gambino started laughing. So I everybody you, laughed. I told you this kid's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was everyone else's cue. Yeah, yeah, and that wasn't that large a room either. No, it looked like an airplane. 
It yeah, was a walk long in, it was a bar room. on the left and a, and a, yeah. like a long... Yeah, I mean, when you're on stage, you see six people in front of you, and the rest are on all the sides of you. But yeah. it was crazy. I mean, on, on that Saturday night, they had to add a show. You couldn't believe wow. it. Wow. But anyway. Yeah, D- Dangerfield would do three sets, and he was famous then. Oh, my God, yeah. You know, he didn't have to do that. I mean, he just he loved it. He loved being comedian. on stage. That's when he was on Johnny Carson every five minutes. Yeah. You yeah. know, I had the pleasure... I, I kept an apartment in Beverly Hills. I mean, still, and it's Beverly, it's just West Hollywood, but it's 10580 Wilshire Boulevard. And Rodney Dangerfield, Dangerfield moved in there. Carol Burnett moved in there. Oh, my and gosh. And I'd come down and get our car. It was like a half-hour comedy between them. And they could yeah. never come. And they were cheap. He's always been cheap, known to be cheap. So I had a couple of nice cars, and I'd call down first, and they'd have my car. They don't care who was there because I was going to give them a nice tip. So he'd come down and he'd say, talk about not getting respect. This kid gets respect for cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised he was able to get 50 bucks out of him. But, uh, oh, well, yeah. Well, tell me. Well, do you know him? I mean, he's, he didn't give up money. He gave up kindness and, you know, he's a nice guy. Oh. Loved, loved, loved his weed, too, before it was. Oh, my God. Was, uh, Smoked a lot of it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Except oh, Bennett. Bennett and him together. Imagine doing a show with them. You couldn't walk out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he was just, he was a, he was a pro. I mean, they, yeah. they don't make him like that anymore. No. But mm. next question. All right. Next one. Next one is from Dirk. Dirk says, perhaps you have time to give a little insight into Richard Castellano, who I believe has not, ha- has not been talked about on the show yet. His career as a famous actor and Oscar nominee seems to overshadow his wife's claim that he was a nephew of Paul Castellano. Would you know if this is where it ended or was there more to That's that connection? That's not even true. <laughs> this is why Dirk's asking. He says, anyway, please continue this well done podcast. Um, greetings from Germany. Oh, he's from Germany. No, I mean, Richie Castellano, the last person he, he'd, I mean, I can't get into this one. This is nuts. No, it's, it's funny because he got the same last name. It's crazy. And so his wife claimed that he was the nephew of Paul Castellano. His wife claimed that? Well, That's what Dirk is saying. He, I don't know. So you're saying he's not? Not to my he knowledge. He was the nephew? I think they would be about the same age. Yeah, hello. <laughs> well, if not, if, not, if not Richie Castellano being a little older. Yeah, I mean, uh, Richie Castellano, I mean... Well, I mean, he can't. He can't even go into it. What do you mean? No. Well, it's for the not, audience, the audience doesn't know he played uh, Clemenza. He played Clemenza. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then he had, but after the Godfather, he went on to have his own TV series. What was it, Super or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So he, his his famous tagline was, I, f- "I forget the kid's name." You say, "What's the story?" Whatever his name was, mm. and that 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 was a tagline. Wherever he went, he'd see him on the street. Hey, what's the story? Yeah. Well, what happened to him? I might realize he died. passed away. Died very young. Did, did, he fa- he faded away, or did he just die at a young? No, age? he died. At, uh, he had this success, and then he got sick and died. I mean, well, I, you yeah. know, I I can't believe when I got really close to him during, on freshman was Bruno Kirby who played young Castellano in Godfather Two. He's John Clemenza. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he played. Yeah. He died. Yeah, I know. He, he was a young guy too. He, he did. I know. He did, I mean, what, what became? It was cancer, I believe. Yeah. But that kid, he died really early. But how ironic, he played him younger. Mm. Yeah. It was in a strange strange aura around me. (laughs) Always. Well, stay away from you. (laughs) Too late now. 
All right, next one is from Artie for Patrick. Artie says, what was your most rewarding case as a PI? Your silliest case? Where can I get in touch with you if I or others are interested in your services? Uh, the, the wheels are turning. Oh, hurry mm-hmm. up. My, my, my most rewarding case, uh, there was a uh, an organization in uh, New York called Covenant House. In fact, now it's, it's a worldwide organization that takes care of wayward kids. Uh, but it was started by a Catholic priest named Bruce Ritter, who became uh, very powerful. Uh, Nancy Reagan loved him. He was at the White House all the time raising funds. Nancy Reagan would always come to, to wherever the fundraisers were. Bruce Ritter was everywhere. Now, this was before there was any publicity about pedophile priests. So you know where I'm going say, with this. Yeah, so uh, in, in the 80s, the New York Post hired me as one of my first PI assignments because they heard a rumor that uh, uh, Father Bruce, as they called him on the street. Now, yeah, you also, I got to backtrack a little. He started covering the house during the Vietnam War when the kids were coming to uh, New York just because, you know, uh, they wanted to drop out. They, they would come into Port Authority bus terminal in the middle of February without shoes because that was the style then. It's like two degrees out. And, and Father Bruce would have his emissaries on the street would take these kids at the Covenant House. So that's how it all started. But anyway, fast forward to the 80s uh the the new york post heard heard rumors that he was a pedophile not only a a pedophile but a forcible rapist and everything else hmm. and would i investigate it i said you pay me i'll investigate anything i found about 20 something boys he's like boys oh my God. that forced that he, he forced himself on the story hit so big because at the time there were no scandals with pedophile priests none uh, I'm not proud to say, but I was the first kid on the block to bring this to the forefront. Father Bruce wasn't tried or anything uh, involving the law. He wound up being uh, defrocked, ostracized by the church. He, he lived in a cabin in upstate New York, and he still had his fans who would bring him food because he never left the cabin. And he eventually passed away in the early 2000s. But wow. that was my most famous case. Now, the downside of that was now I'm the guy to right. come to if you have charges against the priest. Mm. Well, that's so big over now. the years, I'd say I was instrumental in either getting arrested or suing or getting thrown out of the of the priesthood, about 65 priests. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is yeah, way too see many. Me to, when I moved around where I live in Western Pennsylvania, my reputation preceded me. My kids went to Catholic school. Oh, my God. The priest they were scared to death of me. Good. <laughs> but I, I gave, one of the reasons I wanted to move was to get away from all that. But mm. that's the... That's the best case, the silliest case. I'm a I'm a, a, a polygraph expert, you know, lie detector. Mm-hmm. Right. And when I was back in uh, New York, I get cases all the time, a variety of things. But one of the type cases were fidelity cases, where mm-hmm. uh, somebody in a relationship would think that their significant other was cheating on them, and they would hire me to polygraph them. Can you imagine? You know, of course, the person getting polygraphed has to give permission. Right. You can imagine what the conversation is like over breakfast. Oh my uh, God. Excuse me, dear, could you pass this off by the way, you nasty bitch? I'm going to have this guy polygraph you. And it was always a very wealthy guy, older, with a very young woman, and they really had no choice. So in this particular case, this guy hires me. He was in his late 50s, way out of shape, uh, nothing to look at, and a, a, a wife in her late 20s, a knockout. You know, you, you, you can just imagine the two direct opposites. And he was convinced. Now, I'm a, I'm a PI. Most people come to me and say their significance, others are cheating. They are cheating because you, you know in right. your heart of hearts right. something's wrong. So I said, you know, you're probably right, but uh, 
if she gives me permission to polygraph her, I will. So naturally, he couldn't be there. I have to polygraph a person one-on-one. Uh, and it's it's a long process. It's not what you see on television. It's Why would they give you permission? Test. What? Why would a, a person, like a woman, that he wants a polygraph... Why would she give you permission to do it? Because he had the power, he had the money, and oh, so she wanted she the lifestyle. Get out, okay? Yeah, in other words, you're not taking this. Get out, and okay. it, and I must have, I must have do about two of these a month. Uh, you know, that could have been fun though, because you could. They all act. Yes, they all. You asked her what are you going to give me to make you pass. <laughs> Worked the two ways. That didn't cross my mind, but I was I paid a lot of money for doing these tests back in the day. Uh, I char- the highest fee I charged for polygraph tests was for these fidelity cases because I didn't want them. Mm-hmm. So I said, it's going to cost you $1,000. And I figured, and a lot of people turned me down after that. That's all? But the people who really had the money didn't. This guy says, okay, go. So wow. the, woman, the woman takes the test. And uh, th- then, you know, if there's a problem, you got to stop what you're doing. Then you have to interrogate and talk go back to the test, give them another test. It's not all about what the machine says because the machine doesn't say anything. It's the skill of the polygraphist to get a confession out of people based on what you say is going on with the test. So here's what happens. Uh, Then I speak to the client who's the husband and I said, there's no doubt in my mind that she's not seeing another guy. Hmm. And he looked at me. He said, I know that she's seeing somebody. I said, you don't know. You feel that she's seeing another guy pay me <laughs> i didn't say it that way but I, I i wanted to get out of there you know why i wanted to get out of there why because i told him the truth that she was not seeing another guy and you're going to say what well, was she another woman no she was not seeing another woman any guesses no okay they had a german shepherd yeah you want to guess oh god no my god what? yeah a german shepherd yeah oh, and i tell you though i felt sorry for the woman because she genuinely loved this guy, and he was impotent due to oh, whatever. So she I mean, used the dog. Huh? St- so she used the dog instead. Well, I think that she didn't use the dog. I think the dog went willingly. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, well, you, use your imagination. No, I don't even want uh, that's no, so, I'd anyway, really rather not. Uh, I'd rather not. It's really whoops. So. You know that guy a couple of questions ago talking about Jimmy the Wags. That oh. was one of the sequences in that book. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. A lot of coincidences, but anyway, so I mean, I told the guy the truth. I said she's not seeing another guy. She's so definitely not involved with women. the dog there, to the SPCA. At least he solved the problem. Turned the dog. There was, <laughs> but you don't understand. There was no problem. <laughs> so I, I, I left that cash in hand. I only took cash for these things, uh, and I was gone. And that's the silliest thing I, I would think. Yeah, sounds yeah. Sounds, sounds about uh, it. A little what silly? A little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can see it now. Fido, Fido. No, oh my God. Oh I, didn't wa- I didn't want to think about it. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> no, please. So how about the last part? Where can people get oh, in touch with you if they're uh, interested? I've uh, I've got a website, condorpi.com. That's my website. And on there, in, in the, under the contacts tab, you'll see my phone number. Perfect. That's there you it. Go. I don't want to give it out over the air. If you're interested, go to the website. Exactly. Awesome. Perfect. Sounds yeah. good. Okay, thank you for that question. All right, next one is from Teddy for both Gianni and Patrick. Teddy asked, did either of you watch the Grammys? Who are some of your favorite artists of this new generation? Can I answer first? Go no. Ahead. Your turn. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, no, no one? Nothing? The, me, the Grammys from the other night? Yeah. Last uh, night. Yeah. Were they last night? No, they right. were. 
you have any favorite artists of this generation? Any I, singles? You know, I re totally respect yeah. Taylor Smith. Swift. 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 That's right. I really like her. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you're a huge name. fan. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know what I like about her? She, she's very sincere, very creative, and she takes care of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, very uh, stylish. Very well spoken, too. She's yeah. very sharp for yeah. her age. Yeah. I, I, I'll answer no to the watching the Grammys. Okay. Uh, but yes to... I know, the person I'm going to name passed away a couple of years ago, but Amy Winehouse. Oh, my God. She was Was amazing. a real... Friggin' talent. Right. That's definitely I mean, true. she was. I mean, she was wasted away, but what a set of pipes. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was sad how she ended up, but oh my God. she was definitely yeah, well, a talent. I, was anybody surprised at that? I mean, uh, <sighs> I wasn't. Well, no, I really, I really liked her. Yes, great. That, that's that's about it for current talent for me, anyway. Mm. Yeah, too. It, was, it, was, it changes so fast. <laughs> when I was, that is true. When I, mean, I was in the music business, people were there. I mean. Look at Bennett's career, Sinatra's career. These guys are yeah. forever. Yeah, we'll see if I know, these. Yeah. We'll, I mean, Aerosmith performed last night, so there are. We'll see if these people can. Uh, Aerosmith to can me is not a long. star, though. <laughs> of course, they're a star. Okay, in that era. In that yes, absolutely, period, but they're yeah. still very. Good. They're, they're still around. Still doing their seventy concerts a year, whatever they're doing. Well, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, next one is from Joshua for Gianni. Joshua asks, how well did you know Barbara Streisand or any other New York singers? I knew Streisand. I didn't get to know her here. I get to know her in L.A. because she lived right down the block from Johnny Carson, everybody in Malibu. But Streisand, you know, it's, she's still, you know, a great talent. Mm -hmm. But uh, I didn't really want to know her. Actually, she's not a nice person. <laughs> really? Barbara Streisand. Well, no I way. don't. I oh, wouldn't no. know. I was I, I was on a movie shoot doing security when she was filming on the West Side about fifteen years ago. I don't recall the movie, but people were throwing eggs at her. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean she's You're not rude. like she's rude. Wow, yeah, very rude. Yeah, that's not something that I knew about her. Most people don't. Hmm. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up. And uh, okay. again, this show is dedicated to our good friend, Mr. Sonny Grasso. Good night, everybody. Good Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit Amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night. I do. Step.